Is anybody ready for the word today? Besides me. I'm excited. I'm ready to preach the word. Let's get right into it. You know, the question that I heard a lot of people saying coming out of last year was, where do we go from here? You know, even last week, to be honest. A lot of people last week were saying, where do we go from here? And we keep feeling that, that feeling in our culture. <clears throat> but I want to tell you today, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're a member of the body of Christ, you only have one option, forward. How many of you understand Jesus is moving forward? He's not stopping. He's not slowing down. He's not detoured. He's not distracted. He's not deterred. He's definitely not doubtful. He's in charge. He's in step with the Spirit of God. You have one option as the people of God. If we're going to follow Jesus, he wasn't moonwalking when he said that. He was moving forward. And that's where we're headed, amen? And so there's a word that God spoke to my heart for our church for this year. And, I, and I've been waiting to release this to you. You can see it on the screen behind me today. The word is advance. Now, I, I preached the first Sunday of the year, and I, and I preached a message called 21 and Over It. And because I didn't qualify it, I think some people thought over it was like my word for the year. Like, man, he's kind of had a rough last year. He's over it. That's, that's kind of cynical. That's not the word for the year. I do feel like this word, though, is something that the Holy Spirit wants to get inside of our spirits. He's calling us to move on, to move in, to move up, and to move out. And I want to unpack those first two thoughts in this message today, that God has called us to move in and to move out. You know, last, uh, last year I was reading in Acts chapter 20, and I came to verse 20 of Acts 20, and, and it just fits so well with 2020 that it became my prayer for last year. Not, not for the church, but just for me personally. I'm going to read it to you. This is what it said. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. That was the Apostle Paul. And when I read that, I thought, man, that's, that's for me. God helped me in 2020 not to hesitate to preach anything that would be helpful to the church. And we tackled some tough issues last year, but by the grace of God, his word is true and it's always applicable to our lives. Amen? Well, I got to looking at the next verse and I thought, well, man, that's a good verse for 2021. I got to just go right there. Let me tell you what he says after that. He said, I have decided or declared to both Jews and Greeks, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And when I read that verse, it just reminded me that this is what the church is supposed to be about. That Paul the Apostle, regardless of what was going on in the society or where the Holy Spirit had him leading and preaching and planting churches, he said, here's what I've decided. I'm going to declare that people need to turn to God and repent from sin and put their faith in the Lord Jesus. How many of you know in 2021 we ought to be about the gospel? Amen. Amen. Yeah, we can clap for the gospel. My goodness. Amen. Thank you, Nancy. I'm glad I'm preaching to somebody that believes this. We ought to be focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if we're going to build the kingdom this year, we're going to have to advance. I was in a prayer gathering a couple weeks ago with our, my advisory committee. And by the way, we, we have a meeting tonight, our annual business meeting. I want you to be a part of it. If you're a member, you, you really need to be a part of it. If you're not, you're still welcome to be a part of it. We're going to celebrate God's faithfulness in the last year. We're going to cast a little more vision for where we're headed this year. But I was with my advisory committee 
And we were praying, and this prophetic word was, was spoken, and I, I received this. The word was, keep moving forward. Don't go back. The strengthening is hard, but it's necessary for where God is taking us. How many of you can say that's been true in your life in the last year? I would have rather it gone a different way. I would have rather it not been as difficult, but the strengthening, though it is hard, it's, it's been necessary to get us to where God is taking us. So I want to talk about a couple of thoughts. Number one, move on. Now, unapologetically, here's my football illustration. Emmett Smith, Hall of Famer, has the record for all-time rushing yardage. He ran the ball 18,355 yards. Happened to be a Dallas Cowboy, too, which I kind of like that part of the stat, but some of y'all have to get over that. 18,355 yards, if you did that in a car, the odometer would read 10 miles, 10.4 miles to be exact. How does a guy carry a pigskin 10, almost 10 and a half miles, especially knowing that every 4.2 miles, a 300-pound defensive tackle jumped on him? He averaged 4.2 miles a carry. And the way he did it is daily. He did it Game by game, play by play. How many of you know you don't set a record like that in one season? He did it with consistency. And, and Emmett Smith talks about what he calls the 24-hour rule. It was one of his secrets to success. The 24-hour rule for Emmett was simply this, that whether I won or I lost, whether I was lamenting or celebrating, I only gave myself 24 hours. In other words, after, after 24 hours, get over it. If it was your greatest game, if it was your worst defeat, 24 hours is all you get, get over it. And the reality that all of us can relate to is that we can become paralyzed by the things that we can't change in our yesterdays. And we can be crippled by the things that we're concerned about in our tomorrows. And either of them will shortchange us on our potential for today. Listen, church, you gotta be willing to let go of dead yesterdays and unborn tomorrows. Now, I'm not saying forget the past, because we can learn from it, and we should, and I'm not saying don't plan for the future because it's coming. <laughs> Get ready. You should plan for the future. But what I'm saying is if we're going to be successful, we have to learn to stay in the day. Even optimists can miss this. I was listening to a podcast with John Maxwell earlier this week, and he said, we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish tomorrow and over-exaggerate what we accomplished yesterday. How many of you know that's true? You know, the fish story gets bigger every year. You know how that goes. But, <laughs> but he said we do that while we underestimate the potential of today. We underestimate the potential of today. Today is all you have, friends. Each day's a gift. You remember the story in the Old Testament of God providing manna for the children of Israel in the wilderness. They, it looked like coriander seed, and they were to go out every day, and they were collect it and gather it so that they would have enough to eat. Uh, let me show you one of the passages in Exodus 16 where they get their instructions on how to handle the manna. It says in verse 17 of Exodus 16, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little 
did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Verse 19, then Moses said to them, no one is to keep (coughs) any until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. Can you imagine people not listening to their spiritual leader? I just can't even, I I can't even, I don't have a, I don't have a category for that. I I just can't imagine people not, never, never mind. They didn't listen to Moses, it says, and they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. See, the reality is that God wanted them to understand you can't store up God's faithfulness today for your fears about tomorrow. You gotta learn to trust God every morning. You gotta learn to trust God every day. That's why in Matthew chapter 6, verse 34, in the King James verse, I like the way the, the King James says this. It says, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. That's just a really poetic way of saying tomorrow's problems are problems enough for tomorrow deal with today. Just stay in the day. Paul said it like this. His grace is sufficient for the day. Lamentations 3.23 says his mercies are new each day. Psalm 118 verse 24 says this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Not anticipating it, not reflecting on it. Be glad in it. Ephesians 4, Paul says don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, there's an expiration date on anger. Now, anger is not always bad. Sometimes anger is the appropriate emotion, especially when it provokes a right adjustment in your life. But what can happen if we hang on to anger, if we try to sit on it like the Israelites did with the manna, is it can begin to fester. Anger becomes bitterness, and there's a foul smell in your spirit because you let it expire. So there's something powerful about a day. There's something that that Jesus wanted us to understand when he even said in Luke 9, anyone who wants to follow me must take up his cross and follow me daily. Joshua said it like this, choose you this day. Is anybody getting what I'm laying down yet? Choose you this day who you will serve as for me and my house will serve the Lord. And when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, here's how you ought to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Why? Because Jesus understood, and we need to understand that you can depend on God every day of your life, but you can only depend on him one day at a time. And so you have to wake up every day with a purpose and a resolve that says, I'm going to stay in the day. If we're going to advance God's kingdom, it's going to be one day at a time, one step at a time. And friends, that means you have to move on from yesterday. Matthew Barnett is a co-founder of the LA Dream Center. They have helped thousands of people get over addictions of all kinds of substances. And he has a question that he asks everybody. No matter what they're dealing with, he has a question. And I think it's such a powerful question. And it's this, can you do it for a day? That's a great question because everybody can answer that. Yes, could you, could you put down the bottle for one day? Could, could you stop smoking for one day? 
Or, 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 or maybe, maybe the problem is something else. Maybe it's, it's gossip and you just can't, can't stop running your mouth. But could you do it for one day? I mean, just one day? Could you just hold your tongue for a day? I mean, I know it's easy to be cynical and, and to get a, a calloused heart because of everything you're dealing with, but could you be hopeful for just one day? Or how about this, you know, New Year's resolutions. I'm, I'm going to read the whole Bible in 2021. I'm going to read it this year. Now it's the 24th, and you're already like, I'm behind. I, I'm, I forgot the weekend. And... But could you do it for a day? You know, 75% of our resolutions don't happen because a year is so far off, we can't even see the finish line. But if you would just read your Bible every day, just for 12 minutes in a year, you'd find that you finished the whole Bible. Can you do it for a day? Can you advance the kingdom just today? Can you follow Jesus just today? Can you trust him? Can you keep your eyes fixed on him today? Listen, I know there's a lot of things to be looking at. There's a lot of things to be concerned about, no doubt, in our world. But let me just be really clear on on one of the issues that is very pervasive in our culture. If we're going to advance the kingdom in 21, We cannot live this year looking back at 2020 and all of the things that happened politically. We can't. Last year, I said it at the beginning of this year, I'll say it again. Last year, it felt like a distraction. It just felt like we were so consumed with so many things that it was easy for the body of Christ to lose Focus, And I'm going to tell you, church, if we don't stay in the day, if we don't wake up today knowing that Jesus is on his throne, his kingdom is established, nothing is changed in the heavenly realm. You're still seated with Christ in high places. You haven't lost any ground, church. And, and if, we don't, if we don't live in that reality and say, I'm going to move forward by faith, I'm going to trust God today because today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable year of the Lord. If you don't move forward with that confidence, you're going to move through another year of distraction. we got to move on. And by the way, there are times to lament. There are times to grieve, and it's totally appropriate. Right now in my Bible reading program, I'm reading through Job. And Job's friends gave him all kinds of counsel. You know when they were the best friends? At the beginning of the book, it says they sat with him in silence for seven days. That was when they were the best friends. It's actually a Jewish tradition. It's a a time of grieving. I mean, he had lost all of his children. He had a reason to grieve. I think it's called uh, the Shiva. But it's a time of just sitting and and lamenting, and there's a time for that. I'm not not saying that we don't need to give margin and space for us to deal with emotions, but at some point, you you gotta dust off your blessed assurance and stand up and follow Jesus. We've gotta move on. Let me give you the second one. We've gotta move in. Because listen, I, I get it. If, if, if you're dealing with something that you're genuinely struggling with and, and you're having a hard time wrapping your mind around it, maybe you're grieving a loss, a disappointment, and somebody just comes up to you and says, hey, buddy, move on. <laughs> that doesn't really help, does it? I mean, come on. I recognize that that sounds a little harsh all by itself, but it's not enough to just say move on. We've got to move in. And when I'm talking about moving in, I mean we got to move into the presence of Jesus. And I want to just camp out at one 
spot for the rest of this message. One story about a person who made up their mind to move in to the presence of Jesus, even in the most difficult circumstance. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, begins like this. It says, after the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Now, most all of you probably know this story already. This is, this is the Sabbath weekend. Jesus was arrested this weekend. He was falsely accused. He was tortured at the whipping post. He was made to carry the cross beam down the Via Della Rosa and up Golgotha's hill. Spikes were driven in his hands and feet. He hung there for six hours and he died. He was wrapped in linen. He was laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. Most all of his disciples ran in fear. And they were hiding that weekend behind locked doors. But this verse takes place on Sunday morning. The Sabbath is over. No doubt the question that is ringing in the ears of every one of the believers is the question that many Christians have been asking recently. Where do we go from here? How do we advance from here? Is there anything to advance from here? I want you to pay attention to this woman, Mary, because the Sabbath is now over, and Mary is headed to the tomb where they laid Jesus' body. And I believe there's some things we can glean from her life in this moment of her story. In fact, I want to tell you five things, that five ways that Mary moved in to the presence of Jesus. Number one, she moved in expectantly. It says it was at dawn. The Passover regulations didn't allow her to go sooner. She, she could not travel. She could not go to the tomb, but she made plans to. She was expecting. It says at dawn. She, as soon, in other words, as soon as she could, she would. That, that's how I felt two Sundays ago, watching church online. I couldn't be here, but as soon as I could, I would. You better believe I was ready for today. As soon as I could. I, do you feel that way about getting into God's presence? Do you feel that way about, oh, I just, if I could just get out of this chaos for a moment and step into the realm where God's glory abides, everything would change with a moment in his presence. She said, if I could, I would. I want to get into his presence. John tells us that it was still dark. Matthew tells us it was dawn when they got there. Can I just say to you, if you can wait till later to get into God's presence, you will. Isn't that true? I mean, all of us, we, we have good intentions, but unless a crisis comes, unless you really need to, unless you really have an expectation, you'll always have an excuse. You'll always have a reason not to. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. David, the psalmist, said it like this in Psalm 42. He said, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the writer said, without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And I just wonder, 
Do we actually believe that God rewards those who earnestly seek him? I mean, do you really believe that? That's what faith is. That's the dimension of faith. It says, I, I don't really know how things are going to go, but I do believe if I'll seek Jesus, if I'll go after him with all of my heart, there's, there's, there's a reward in that. Now, I, I know you're, you're, you're being quiet and you're listening today, but the scenario that plays out in a lot of homes doesn't look like a person that really believes God's going to reward a passionate pursuit. You spend all week and you're stressing over the finances and complaining about the job and worried about your kids' future and the world that we're leaving for them. And then Saturday night comes and the conversation happens. Honey, are we going to church tomorrow? I, I kind of thought maybe we'd go out for breakfast. It'll be online later, right? We could, yeah, yeah, it'll be online later. Come on. How, how easy is it? For us to just not have any expectation that when we got up this morning and then we came into the house of the Lord, that the God of heaven was waiting with bated breath for your arrival. He wants to honor your pursuit. He rewards those who diligently seek him with all of their hearts. The second thing Mary did is this. Not only did she move expectantly, she moved in boldly. John tells us in John chapter 20 that he and Peter ran to the tomb and they saw that it was empty and they left. But look at what it says in, in John 20 verse 9. They still didn't understand, it says, from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. So they came, they looked, they saw the tomb was empty and they left. But it says Mary stood outside the tomb. Can I just tell you that if you're going to move into God's presence, it requires boldness. It requires tenacity. Some people, you know, they open their Bible and they read and maybe give God five minutes, but if he's not saying something that, you know, gives clear direction specifically for what's, you know, on your mind today, we go, well, that's not really for today. and We close it up. We come in to worship on Sunday morning. You took the time. You got the kids checked in. Everybody's looking good. You show up at church, but oh, I don't really know that song. I'm talking about boldness. It says, I, Peter and John, they showed up, and Jesus' body wasn't there. They left. Mary showed up, and his body wasn't there, but she persisted. She stayed there. And can I say, she didn't find what she was expecting. You're not alone in that. She, she came seeking Jesus, and this, this is not what I expected to see. But she decided she was not going to leave until she found him. She chose to press in, to move in. And the Bible says in John chapter 20 and verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. Now that speaks of this third move. She moved in faithfully. Faithfully. I mean, it's not like she was coming to the temple to hear a great sermon from Jesus. She wasn't showing up at, at the Mount of Olives or in the Garden of Gethsemane. Or, she wasn't going to any of these places where Jesus had demonstrated his power. She showed up at his tomb. 
In other words, she didn't show up to say, Jesus, I need you to do something for me. I can promise you, she had no expectation on Jesus that day. She was coming out of a heart of worship. She was saying, you, you don't have to give me anything. I'm here to give you something. Is that how you come to church? Is that how we move into God's presence? It's not a heart of emotion. It's a heart of devotion that says, Jesus, if you never do another thing for me, I'm here to bless your name. I wish somebody would do it right now. Would you just give God praise today? Because he's faithful. Because he's blessed your life. He's so good to us. She moved in. C.H. Spurgeon gave a commentary on this verse, and he said this. Some find it hard to stand by a living Savior, but she stood by a dead one. Let us seek Christ after this mode, cleaving to the very least thing that has to do with him. Remaining faithful, though all others should forsake him. To move in faithfully just means, Jesus, even if you don't do anything for me, I didn't come to seek your hand. I came to seek your face. I just came to honor you. I just came to worship you. The fourth thing is this. Mary moved in passion. She moved in passion. Look at that verse with me again. Verse 11 in John 20. It says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. I I love that phrase, as she wept. Because for a lot of us, the story would end with Mary stood outside crying. In other words, Mary stood outside. Her expectations weren't met. She was disappointed. She was overwhelmed. She was saddened. But as she wept, she kept moving in. As she wept, she bent over to look in to the tomb. See, I believe it was Mary's passion that drove her to get up while it was still dark and be the first to show up at the tomb on Sunday morning. And I believe it was her passion that made Jesus want to let her be the first one to encounter the resurrected Lord. Think about it. I mean, Jesus could have showed up to anybody. Peter and John had been there, could have shown up to those guys. If I'm writing this story, I mean, mean, if, if you kill me and three days later, I'm the one that comes back, probably on Easter Sunday morning, Pilate wakes up and I'm standing at the end of his bed like, you know, Like, I don't know, maybe you just show up in the middle of the temple, you know, in the middle of a crowded market, you know, shaft of light, coming back like Superman. But that's not what Jesus did. He shows up in the garden to Mary. Why? Because God responds to a passionate pursuit. He responded, and he showed up to her. God's not looking for the most talented person. He's not looking for the most eloquent communicator. He's not looking for the most gifted leader. He's looking for a person that bleeds passion for his presence. The word of God says in 2 Chronicles, the eyes of the Lord look to and fro, ranging throughout the earth to see if there's anyone. He's looking for anyone that he can strengthen whose heart is fully committed to him, And I want to tell you, church, if, if we're going to advance the kingdom in 21, it's going to require passion. We need to have passion. Charles Finney was a 
a great leader of the second great awakening in the United States. He's been called the father of modern revivalism. It was Finney who said, we'll never have revival until Mr. Amen and Mr. Wet Eyes come back to the church. What was he talking about? Passion. Mr. Amen and Wet Eyes. Some of y'all, I'm trying to fire you up, but you're looking at me like Bernie Sanders at a presidential inauguration. Like... All you need is a good pair of warm mittens. Aren't passionate people infectious? I mean, don't you, want, don't you just want to be around somebody that has some conviction? I love that even though Mary was disappointed, even though she was crying, as she wept, she just kept coming. She moved in. Here's the fifth thing. She moved in purpose. She moved in purpose. In other words, she came to see Jesus. She had a singular focus. She wasn't going to be distracted by anyone or anything else. She moved in purpose. Look with me again in John 20 verse 11 says, as she wept, she bent over and she looked into the tomb and she saw two angels in white. Seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. Now look at this next phrase. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. Now just think about what you know of the Bible. Most, most cases... Anytime anybody sees one angel, they either fall on the ground in fear or run and hide. Mary is so focused. She's moving in such purpose that she's not even stirred by the sight of two angels. She walks into that tomb. She's looking for her Lord. And there's this guy and there's this guy. And they ask her, what are you doing? Who are you looking for? She said, I'm looking for my Lord. They moved him and I don't know where he is. And then it says, and she turned away from them. Come on, that's purpose. That's focus. And can I just say that there's a lot of things in our world right now that the church is looking at. There's a lot of things that we've allowed to divert our attention. Some of it might even be spiritual. Some of it might even be supernatural. But I want to say very clearly to the church today, if it's not drawing you closer to the presence of Jesus, you need to turn your back on it. You need to turn around and you need to focus in on the Christ that we are following. He's looking for a people with eyes fixed on him. We're not going to advance the kingdom through politics. Dr. Tony Evans said it like this. He said, a, a, fog in the pulp, uh, a mist in the pulpit creates a fog in the pews. So let me slow down and say this very clearly. We are not going to advance the kingdom through politics or prophets or evangelists, or pastors and teachers. And if looking at any of those things diverts your attention from the one you're following, it's time to turn your back. It's time to fix your gaze. It's time to move in with purpose into the presence of Jesus and say, look, he's the Lord of the day. 
He's Lord of this hour, of this moment of my life. He has, he's in charge as much as he's ever been in charge. I can spend my time worrying about what wasn't or what was, or I can be paralyzed by the unknown of tomorrow, or I can choose to advance his kingdom. And Mary, against all odds, against impossible circumstances, moved in to the presence of of Jesus. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and I want to take you back for just a moment to the place where that motivation started. Because the motivation for Mary's pursuit of Jesus' presence was the grace that she experienced. And for some of you, maybe you haven't experienced that grace. Maybe you don't know what it is to genuinely be overwhelmed the way that the psalmist described. My, my soul faints for the courts of the Lord. Maybe you don't know what that feels like, and God forbid you leave this place with a, a determination to just try harder, because you'll fail again, as will any of us. But Mary was not motivated by good intentions or morality or legislation. She was motivated by grace. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus was having dinner at the home of Simon, a Pharisee. And in comes Mary. She kneels down at Jesus' feet. She begins to cry and her tears mingle with the mud between his toes. And she begins to wash his feet with her tears and and dry them with her hair. Luke tells us she had an expensive box of perfume And she broke that box of nard. She didn't just bring a little bit. She broke it. In other words, she did not measure her worship. It was extravagant. She poured it out. And the whole room was filled with the fragrance of her worship. And it made no sense to religious people. (laughs) It didn't add up. Simon starts questioning Jesus' ethics to even receive a woman like this. Jesus explains in Luke 7, 47 what was right about Mary's pursuit. Jesus said these words, Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Whoever's been forgiven little has little expectation. The the one who's been forgiven little has little boldness, has little faithfulness, little passion, little purpose. But but it's the one who's had a revelation of God's grace. It's the one who recognizes they have no standing in the presence of God. And yet because of the blood of Jesus, he said, come. It's the one who finds themselves overtaken by the presence of their Savior that loves this extravagantly. And maybe you're here today and you haven't had that experience. You can. I asked this worship team to come and and just lead us in in a moment of response to God's presence and to just say those words we sang together earlier my sole devotion my only focus is to worship you it's to worship you
And if you're here today and you, that's not, that's not your truth. It's not your reality. You haven't had your life wrecked by the amazing grace of Jesus. Let this be a moment that you just receive. Receive salvation. Receive forgiveness. Let him wash you again. Let him embrace you again. I want to ask you to stand all over this room. We're going to pray. And if that's you today, just from your heart, from your heart right now, just begin to surrender to God. Father, today I thank you for the wellspring of salvation that is flowing through the aisles and through the rows in this sanctuary. God, I thank you that redemption is within our grasp today, not because of our good works, not because of our good deeds, but because of your good grace. Thank you, God, that you invaded time and space. You came into our story and you purchased our salvation. How could we not respond like Mary on the other side of the cross and say, I've got to, I've got to get to my Savior. Jesus, thank you today for salvation. We receive your forgiveness. If that's you today and you say, I'm receiving right now the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus in my life. You're coming to him right now. You're giving your life to him. Would you just raise your hand? Just reach up towards heaven. Say, that's me. Praise God. Anyone else say, that's me, pastor. The Lord's doing a work right now in my life. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the acceptable year of the Lord. Come on, everyone else, I want to invite you. Let's take a couple of moments and let's just seek his face together. Maybe you just want to stand where you're at and raise a hand. For some of you, the best thing you could do is make this truth practical. You need to really move, not just move in your spirit, but you need to step out from where you are and find a place at this altar. Cry out to God and say, Lord, my soul devotion, my only focus is to worship you. Come on, let's take a few minutes and seek him together.